Hey, 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 you guys. Thank you all so much for being back on Black Canvas Season 9. We have an amazing special guest here on the show. His name is Dominic Calvani. He was born in Denver, Colorado, and he moved to Brazil at the age of seven with his mom and siblings and was raised in a small town on the outskirts of Brazil's capital, Brasilia, where he grew up with a very simple and typical Brazilian life, completely immersed in Brazilian culture. Soccer and martial arts were a huge part of his upbringing, as would be expected. At the age of 18, Dominic returned to his hometown of Denver for college. While pursuing a degree in computer science and working in the field as a software engineer and business consultant, Dominic had the experience of living in multiple different states and countries, including Northern and Southern California, Germany, and Chicago. Moving to Miami brought a lot of changes for Dominic, eventually leading him into the modeling and entertainment roles. As an avid traveler and skydiver, Dominic loves getting to see new parts of the world, experiencing new cultures, jumping out of airplanes, meditating, and going on occasional psychedelic journeys to explore the deep crevices of his mind and the universe. And I'm just so excited to have you here, Dominic, on the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Jerry. It's a pleasure to be here, and I appreciate you having me on. Well, the pleasure is definitely mine. I, I love having new people on the show, especially someone who has an interesting background. And when you kind of talked about your experiences with skydiving and just having that, that computer science, you know, background and modeling and entertainment, I think it's great to have someone who has different experiences to kind of share. And we can learn a lot from you today. Yeah, it's a lot of variety. I definitely um, haven't been able to just stay on one single path and focus on, you know, one set of things that I think are going to make me happy or, or fulfilled, you know, I'm more of the explorer type. And I love that. And I kind of want to go straight into a question I think many of us want to learn more about is you said that you had moved from Denver and you lived in Brazil at the age of seven. Can you tell us about that experience of living in Brazil and what that was like for you? Sure. Yeah. Um, wow. Well, I mean, it was a huge change, you know. Um, it wasn't something that was really expected. It was a... Um, decision on my mom's part and she took us and I, I guess if I were to tell you the truth I think that like two months before that I don't know it, it probably wasn't even on anybody's radar so it was a very sudden change for us and when it happened you know we when you're at the age of seven uh, my sister was five and when you go there that young you're just there's so much neuroplasticity going on in your brain and you just adapt so fast and you learn languages so fast. So, um, you know, I don't feel like there was really a shock for us as the children. Um, I think we moved away from the United States right after I finished my first grade and the, the year, the school year over here ends in what, like July or something, right? So, over there in Brazil, it's a little switched, so it's, it follows the calendar year. So the school year starts the end of January, February, like 
came up vacation this December, January. So we moved away from Brazil when I was seven in August. So by the time February came around for me to start my next year in school, to start second grade, I was basically teaching Portuguese. And that's just how easy it is to pick up a language as a child. Uh, same went for my sister as well. So, you know, when you try to pick up a different language when you're much older, it's certainly harder. It takes a lot more effort. Um, and I think the same goes for, I think the language neuroplasticity is just one example. I think you're just so adaptable in general when you're that young that even though we moved there without knowing a lick of Portuguese or um, having no experience with the culture or anything, it was very, it felt, looking back in hindsight, I feel like we just kind of just hit the ground running. And that's what I felt like. As you described in that bio that you read for me, um, we were fully immersed in Brazilian culture. It was like we literally lived in Brazil as as just a normal Brazilian family, right? It wasn't because I know a lot of people who live there, and it's very there. You know, some political ties. There, you know, there's ambassadors and business and things. They live a totally different lifestyle where they go to school and they school and they study in English international friends and we were just in some poor little neighborhood outside of Brazil so you know it was 100% Brazilian and that's just how we grew up that was 100% our culture for um, those let's see 11 years that I was there from 7 to 18 and so we're we're we, we were fully in Brazil mode the whole time and it just I think when that happens you just kind of hit the ground running you go straight into it and you just I think that's a great way of putting it. Like you said, adapting to change and just being able to become fully immersed in a, in a culture that helped to reshape who you were as a person. And like you said, going through those challenges and changes at seven years old and going into teen years to near adult years of being in one area. I mean, I'm originally from New Orleans, Louisiana. And so we were so used to different cultures. That's what I love about my city, my home city is that you had people who just came from everywhere to visit. So I was so used to eating different types of food, um, being maybe in the French quarters and seeing someone who was from Jamaica or someone who was from maybe Africa or whatever. And I mean, it would just come there and share. And it was just such a great experience for me. And I went to public school originally. So having that experience and then doing parochial school um, from fifth grade all the way into graduating high school, my mom just wanted us to have as many opportunities to grow. So I went from public school to Lutheran to Catholic, um, all within a short window of time. But I, I do appreciate those moments because it helped reshape me. And I was around so many different types of individuals. So I, I was able to use that to my advantage. Yeah. And interestingly, you know, as we're talking about this and you bring up, you know, your experience growing up, perhaps this, uh, that I, situation where I was forced to adapt perhaps may have caused this um, feeling I have towards life where I just continuously want to adapt to new things and try new things. You know, maybe if you look back, maybe it was something that started way back at seven years old and still plays out in my life at now at 35. I love that. And I, I like you said, it's been like a full journey almost for you of just having those experiences from seven to 35 
and I, I know you have a lot you could tell us about that, but I do want to go into the next question, which I thought would be really cool to learn more about your career path. So do you mind like letting us know what kind of led you into your current career um, that you do now versus, of course, um, what you had gone to college for at that time? And can you kind of break that down for us? Yeah, sure. Well, that, you know, a lot of it just kind of just happened, you know, it wasn't really planned. Um, things just let one thing led to another and I just kind of go with the flow, you know, and I feel like one characteristic of mine is that I just, I, I, I go with whatever life brings me, right? If it brings me uh, lemons, I'll just try to make lemonade, right? And um, I, I'm not, I'm never stuck in one niche that I feel like I need to be in and it defines me. I was a software engineer and that makes me a software engineer. Matter of fact, I don't like saying I'm a model. I like saying, well, I model, but it doesn't really define who I am and what I'm writing for. Because the, the problem with adjectives in, in human language in general, I feel, is that like people tend to associate all these other characteristics into that one characteristic. If you are a model, well, you have to have all these other different characteristics that go along with it, right? If you're a software engineer, maybe you're the introvert, maybe you're the, maybe you're not very social, maybe, and, and et cetera, right? on the positive side, maybe you're really smart and you're good with math. And I think all of those things above are actually incorrect about me, right? So um, I just kind of just went with everything that life was giving me, I feel like. And I started out when I graduated from high school. That's when I came back to the United States. And um, I went straight into a computer science I, was, I wasn't one of those students that I switched majors a bunch of times. I was like straight into that, and I, that's what I finished with, and I, I never even contemplated changing majors, and that was it. You know, and you may think that that would be, okay, well, that guy's set. I'm being a software engineer, right? Um, and I finished up college and went to go work in the industry, and I, I think this is true for a lot of subjects, not just computer science. It, what is enjoyable and fulfilling to study in an academic perspective is not always enjoying, enjoyable and fulfilling in a professional setting. You know, maybe somebody loves studying psychology, but maybe they don't like doing therapy. You know, it's, uh, it's very different the way, the way you approach a certain subject in academia and how you approach it in, in real life professional setting so um i did my very best at being a software engineer and i think i did really good at it it, it was it was cool but just being in the office in front of the computer it was just it, it, it was it was rough on me it was really rough on me um i tell that it was uh i think for you to be great at anything it requires at least two things probably more but at, at, a, at a very base minimum you have to love what you're doing and you have to be good at it. And I don't think I was either one of those. <laughs> I wasn't amazing at it and I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't in love with what I was doing. Um, but I stuck, I stuck with it. I'm, I'm really, I like to persevere and, you know, at least get through the lesson before I move on to the next lesson. And um, I eventually moved back. That's when I was living in Chicago. So I eventually moved back to LA and, um, started to want to dabble in real estate 
so then and I was like trying to figure out where I was gonna buy my first house where the market made sense where where I would potentially want to live and just be able to stay to kind of retain and I decided I was gonna move to I was decided I was gonna buy my first property in Miami and at this point I'm doing software engineering I had intentionally stayed away from modeling for many years um, rewinding back a little bit I had had a brief run in the modeling industry when I was about 17 years old, still living in Brazil, associated with Navy SEAL over there, ended up ended up leaving Brazil to come back and do my university, and basically at that point lost ties with the agency I was with, went over and ran the country and everything with them, and I decided, you know, at this point I'm just, I'm kind of starting over fresh, let me just start off with this engineering thing, let me just stick to that and focus on that, and everything else seems to be distracting, it just takes up a lot of time and effort, and it's really hard to get through, and so let me just focus on this, turn off this. And I didn't do any modeling from, you know, 17 till I was over. So I moved to Miami. And then, so eventually I bought my first house in Miami and um, rented it out. And I, at that point I was like 10, I was working remote with my software engineering company anyways. And with software engineering, it's actually very common for you to be able to work remotely. So I moved over to Miami and I said, hey, I'm just going to keep working remotely. I was kind of working remotely anyways until it was easy to transition. You know, I came over here and I tried to uh, get into a renovation and do my first renovation project basically by myself. And I got my ass kicked and one month project turned into a two month project, turned into three month projects. Four months later, I'm still here. And I was like, I have to tell my boss, I'm like, well, uh, is it okay if I just move to Miami and just, you know, become a resident here? And they were used to that. They had a lot of people who already work in those states anyways. And they're like, yeah, fine, that's fine. So 1099, I got the hang of working here. And at this point now, I believe this is at like 28, 27, 28 maybe. Um, I'm living in Miami. I'm 1099, so I have fle flexibility on how many hours I can work. Um, and I'm financially in a spot where I can, you know, start looking at doing other things that, that I like. And I'm in a point in my career where, you know, I wasn't, you know, I had some flexibility there. I had some flexibility with what I did and how many hours I worked and how much I needed to make and everything. So I decided, and, and people had been approaching me to do modeling or get into some form of entertainment, acting or whatever for that whole gap in between seven and 28, like it was constantly like, hey, you should model, you should do this. I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm focusing on, on software engineering. And, and um, you know, by this time I was just kind of burnt out with that too. And all these other things started popping up and I started doing the, the real estate. And then all these people started approaching me over here in Miami to do modeling. And they, did, they would come up and be like, hey, do you have a model agent? Can we work with you? And then I was like, okay, well, maybe I should take up some of these opportunities, right? Um, and then I started dabbling with those two things. I was dabbling in the modeling industry and I was dabbling with real estate and, you know, um, doing some buying, buys and flips and, um, rentals and whatnot. And then COVID hit. This is, you know, two, maybe two years into that after I moved to Miami, um, all of a sudden we're indoors. Nobody can really do anything. All of my work that I had been doing for the software engineering company was heavily travel-based at that point. So I needed to be traveling nonstop. I was every other week I was in some different state, working, and then all of a sudden that just became dead. And um, I mean, 
I could have just, you know, gone back to sitting at my desk over here and, and doing remote work. And, but I also had these other two things that were really popping. And I was like, well, maybe this is a blessing. Maybe I should jump on these other things and actually go with the flow. And then it kind of took off from there. And there's, there's a lot more I could say about that, but it's a, it, that's a lot of info already about a small question. No, I enjoyed hearing it, Dominic. I feel like that's a journey that you have taken to get to where you are now. And like you said, and I want to kind of piggyback what you said in the beginning about modeling. And there's a lot of misconceptions about models. And I'm so glad that you were able to kind of bring that up because it's not about, you know, just a specific look or a specific if that person has gone to school for specific things like, like fashion design or if someone has, a, like I say, engineering degree. It's about what the actual designers are looking for, what commercial print work, what is actually, you know, in style for that moment that they are, are trying to convey. Because we all know, you know, fashion changes, you know, experiences with the industry, of course, shifted during COVID. You know, people had to learn how to be more creative and still being able to stay afloat during the pandemic. And even since, just the after effect of how all careers, no matter if it's modeling, acting, you know, musicians, entrepreneurship, everything has kind of shifted um, since COVID. So I think we're all learning how to kind of navigate life in a different way. But I'm just so glad that you were able to go through these journeys and it led you back to modeling, but that's not all in who you are. You're a lot more than just a model. And I think that's the most important thing I want our listeners to understand is you can still have careers and passions and, you know, and believe in yourself and still do other things and still be able to follow through with, things that you enjoy that don't have to necessarily identify who you are as a person. Yeah, entirely. You know, I, I, I think that, you know, our human brains just tend to always try to uh, try to do that to people. It's, it's a heuristics, right? Heuristics are a way of you simplifying something to, in order to, to get through your daily life and have to think less. And that is what we do when we try to like assemble a, of characteristics to a human being because we say, okay, well, if that guy is from Miami, that must mean this, this, and this about him because he walked down the street. Try to ask every single person you run across their entire life story about everything from World War II to now that they're 30, you would get through your day and say, you know, we need to kind of make presuppositions and judgment, prejudgments about people. You know, we have to because we need to understand better. So we have to be aware of the fact that like that and have the means to those human beings to try to do that for not just people but for anything and it's unfortunate but you're right it it does happen more often than not that people do go immediately to judgments about others without actually getting to know them so that's why i love my in my career i come into it you know just open-minded listening wanting people to share their experience and my job is just to meet people where at where they are and so i feel like Hopefully we'll get to that point in this world. We, we never know, but, you know, if, if at least we're the change that we want to see in others and we can start emulating that and sharing that experience with others, then we can help hopefully bridge the gap in those areas where we do see a lot of divisiveness. And it actually leads into something that I really want to talk about, which is like self-love and self-care. Do you mind telling us, like, how do you find self-love and self-care for yourself? Well, I don't, 
you know, I, I could give you specific answers on specific things, specific acts I do, what, you know, something that's part of my routine in the morning. But, you know, I really do feel that at a deeper level, self-care is a feeling, you know, it's a feeling, it's a feeling and it's a choice. And um, there's certainly a plethora of things that I can do throughout my day in order to increase my self-love and to make sure I'm taking care of myself when I wake up and try to meditate meditate and have my little ice bath routine or whatever. That makes me feel really good. Getting out to work out, that's a part of it. Um, Man, my whole entire day is a self-care routine, really. But, you know, at the end of the day, I also really do believe firmly that you can do all of these things and still be unhappy and, and not feel this contentment and joy for life, for, for just getting up. I mean, yes, you can, I can get up here and recite my positive affirmations and I can pray in whichever way feels suitable to pray that day. But if you're not, if you don't make the conscious choice to, to you know, feel a certain way, you can, you can do all of that and it's just totally Absolutely. And it can feel similar to, have you heard of imposter syndrome before? Okay, so if you get an opportunity to kind of look it up a little later on, I'm going to give like a short version of it. But a lot of times it's almost when you're feeling like almost like you're convincing yourself that you're something that you may or may not be. Or when you do things well, it's almost like I don't deserve it. I'm kind of paraphrasing because I don't want to go so far into it. But similar to that, um, let's use an example of someone chooses to go into singing as a, as a career and be a musician, they may struggle with that imposter syndrome of what they think they see within themselves versus maybe what's the reality of it, or they can almost kind of sounds like psyching yourself out to a certain extent. Um, that many people can struggle with that for sure. Yeah, and explain how you think that um, imposter syndrome is is that similar to to what I brought up right now? Yes. So like if someone is kind of going through that experience of self-care and self-love, let's say that they're having a hard time understanding how to love themselves, they may show up and say, I'm going to do certain things. Let's say I'm going to exercise, I'm going to read books, I'm going to do all this. And they'll say, hey, I'm going to feel better about myself after doing it. And then it prevents you, imposter syndrome prevents you from pursuing some of those new opportunities for growth because you can almost see yourself as like a fraud is kind of the best way to put it. So it's I'm presenting this to the world like I'm wearing a mask and I'm telling people everything's okay when underneath the surface, maybe that person may or may not have that belief system within themselves. Yeah, for sure. And I think sometimes you're, you can even be an imposter to yourself, not just to other people, right? Like if somebody convinced you that this certain behavior is gonna, uh, is gonna make you feel better or whatever and you just keep doing not even because you're trying to present this to the outside world and make them believe but you are now convinced that if i don't i don't know let's say meditate every single day i'm not going to feel good you know you kind of i think you create that situation now and and you do kind of feel like a fraud if you just keep doing it in a in a fake forced way i think it, it, it might even have the act the effect sometimes of making you feel worse than you did before 100% and a lot of people who struggle with imposter syndrome they can feel like they don't belong or they can even tell themselves like 
what am I doing here in certain situations? Those can be some examples of things that can can be said for that person that's going through those challenges. Um, but a lot of that goes back to expectations. And I always tell people when we set, there's nothing wrong with setting goals for ourselves, but when we set expectations that may be in lofty and unattainable, then it can breathe in a lot of those negative thought processes that we can recite in our mind. Or when we actually are doing well, we may not be able to receive that in the same way as someone who may have, you know, worked through those challenges and found self-confidence and they're believing and receiving who they are in that moment. So I think it it varies on our situations and also um, our support system, the people we have around us that can definitely encourage us in those moments where maybe we, we really are struggling with our own self, you know, worth and our own belief systems. Yeah, you said something there that really uh, touches home for me. You said that, you know, you, you made the, the differentiation between expectations and having a goal, right? And, and that's something that I try to apply in my life a lot. And it really is something that I believe is, it's a mindset that really brings the most well-being and, and uh, removes this feeling of, of anxiety because if, when, if you don't separate those two ideas, if you, if you go, if you think that having a goal is the same thing as having an expectation, that can cause a lot of problems. Um, and it's funny because, you know, you mentioned the, you know, the psychedelics and, and the bio you read, and I feel that's something I really, really got from, from those, really. I think that I've learned to, that when I'm going in an experience like that, I need to set an intention I need to have a clear idea of what I want out of that experience, but that can't be an expectation because if I have an expectation, if that's not met, I feel disappointed and it starts causing a bad feeling. So it's like it, you have to have an intention, but if it goes a different way, you have to be clear. Clear focus, but then as soon as it's not going your way, just be like, okay, it didn't go exactly where I wanted it to go. That's fine. Let's go this direction instead. And again, it goes back to the whole life story I was telling you about with creation. Big difference right there, even though they seem very similar. It does. And I think your mindset, like you said, it's the maturity also. I think there's an emotional maturity that you have to have within yourself once you're going through highs and lows, ebbs and flows in your career and in your jobs. Because jobs and careers can be different. You know, and I think a lot of times our job can become a career choice for us, but there's some people who just work jobs just to make it ends meet, make it to the next meal, make it through the next day. But when you find that career, that choice, something that you really enjoy and that gives you purpose and a sense of belonging, you know, it definitely can reshape, you know, not only your mood and your emotions and your feelings, but just how we connect or have interconnected relationships um, with, with ourselves and with others. Um, so I'm really excited, like I said, to hear more about that um, with the modeling industry. I do want to ask a question. It's my last modeling question, <laughs> but I do want to talk about the misconceptions that people have in the industry. So I know there's different types of modeling. We have high fashion modeling. Of course, they have print work, commercial work, and runway, of course, most times you will see with different types of modeling. 
would you say, um, have you worked in all aspects of that type of modeling? And if you have worked in the ones I listed, which one would you prefer was your favorite mode or choice of modeling if you had to choose? So I've worked in all of them to an extent, but um, the the high fashion and the runway just it doesn't quite work for me. You know, it's that's not my physical type. That's not uh, what where I fit in very well. Um, to be a runway model, you need to be a lot taller. I'm five eleven. I'm on that that verge in between. You know, like almost being able to do it, but not. But it's it's enough of a hindrance, and I also have like a more of a muscular body type. Uh, you ne- generally speaking need to be a little more slender, and you need to be, be taller. Um, it's not necessarily an aesthetic that I want to have either. I don't like losing weight, um, so you know, for me, I just fit a little better in fashion and print and commercial. That's where I fit better and and it's you know again like i said it's just where i fit better it's not necessarily that i made an intentional choice that oh that's where i want to go that's where i really feel the best but um i feel great doing what i'm doing and i don't know if that's just because it played out with that way or what but i feel i feel very happy doing the type of modeling that i do and if i didn't that would probably be a problem because you know some of these uh, other niches would it work? Yeah, I do. I, I totally get where you're coming from. I, I can speak from my own experience, like with the podcasting. I will say there's different types of shows. And I always said when I started my show that I wanted to be completely different than what I was hearing and seeing. And it wasn't just because it was just informational in the beginning, but more mental health and wellness, because we hear a lot of those types of shows. But I really wanted to talk about things and give people the opportunity to come on the show to be able to talk about themselves and be able to promote and share wellness in, in their own self-care and for us to have fun and do it in a respectful way. And where that way no one felt like they were being ambushed or treated a certain way. I just believe that giving people their their floor or this horizon to share their own truth and to know that it's in a trusting, loving way. I felt like that's what I wanted to convey with this show. And then I had a second show that I started not too long after Black Canvas where I had like live performing, which was, I think, completely different than what I've ever seen, an audio podcast of people singing on their phone, which I thought was really cool. It brought me back to my youth watching TRL and, you know, watching Unplugged, um, MTV Unplugged was one of my favorite shows. And so I wanted to give people that floor, especially during COVID, to still be able to perform but also kind of do it in a raw way where it wasn't, you know, anything that was perfect. Cause I, I love the imperfections in people because that's when you really get to see the true core of how they respond to situations when they're not quote unquote being seen in that perfect light. And so the show just became really fun and just an exciting moment for me to hear some of my favorite artists to be able to talk to new people, indie artists who are given this platform to kind of share their experiences and, and know that they're doing it in a loving, trusting way. So I, I love that you said that sometimes we gravitate to certain things and sometimes things fall in our lap and we make the best of it and we can still be successful at what we do. Yeah, I think that's 
very important for the long-term success of anything, but especially a podcast, you know, for you to uh, present it in a way where people feel comfortable and, and like you just said, in a loving, respectful way, because at some point, if it's not driven like that, people recognize it and then people don't want to come on. People might not even be interested in listening to it. So, and, and I'm aware that you're, um, you're a therapist, right? I, I would believe that that actually probably has largely influenced that, that approach. I appreciate that. Yeah, actually, um, I've been counseling now for nine years, but the funniest thing is I actually had degrees in business and accounting. So I started my career in accounting and business. I did that for a couple of years. So I have two associate degrees in both. So I double majored and finished those degrees and I ended up getting my bachelor's in business administration. And I worked for three and a half years, um, pretty much doing taxes, doing stuff like that. And I was like, I really want to do something different. And that's when I really found this calling in counseling. I, I felt like this is something I've always should have maybe going into this route. But I just knew the first time I sat with my first client, and had my first sessions and I was rounding with the doctor which is when you sit in with the doctor when they're doing diagnosing and it was like wow this is this is different I was scared at first to be honest because I'm like I don't want to ruin anyone's life that was always my thing of I just want to help people the best I can but then I realized that being myself and being firm and but loving and assertive and being able to be blunt but in a respectful way that people do gravitate to that and that was something that helped me. And it actually got me out of my fear of public speaking because um, I was like, I'm going to stand here and they're going to kind of roast me because I'm, I'm going to be saying something that I just read in the textbook. And you learn that the textbook is there to guide you. But really, when you're counseling, it's about you and what you bring and how you connect with people. And that's what people want to come back and see and, and learn from instead of you just reading something that you've you've heard someone else either do or say and so that's that's why I think being a model an actor and a singer all these careers you have to pull something from within which helps you to convey that on a screen or you know in a record and people really connect well, you're touching that. on the point of authenticity and I believe that's the in my opinion that is first of all the most admirable human characteristic that's what I appreciate the most in people uh, whether it's in a relationship I, I'm in or just, you know, my, my mom, my, my family, whoever, teachers, I, if you're authentic, I, you know, I think um, it's very rare. And, you know, I think it's, uh, it's the hardest as well. It's very, very hard to always be transparent, to always be, um, well, and not just transparent to other people, but it is that you feel and you use the word blunt. I'm just going to change it for authenticity because blunt, that word bluntness kind of gets uh, confused with something that can be, that's where like negative, there's a little bit of negativity sort of associated with the word blunt, you know, like it's too hard and it's, uh, it's too harsh, right? I feel the word authenticity really drives home that, yes, you just have to be genuinely doing what you feel is right. If somebody says something different, then you you have to argue your point you have to uh, say something say something else that might contradict what they're saying but you do it in a loving manner and as long as it's authentic um, it, as long as it's doing being done in a loving way that's it's not a problem to be authentic right it ceases to be it 
ceases to be okay when you lack that love and respect, but you're still, you know, you're, in your mind, you're being authentic, but you don't have that love and respect towards the other person in that conversation or whatever the scenario is. Absolutely. And I think Absolutely. that's a great point. So I have a question for you, Dom. Uh, when it comes to your mom, has she been an influential person in your life? influential and definitely some one of the people I respect the most in this world there's there's a lot to respect about her and she's a very 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 strong woman and a lot of that um, I've always looked up to and, and hopefully I'd like to think that a lot of it's rubbed off on me and very appreciative that I have the mom that, that I have the mom I have very that's amazing so I want to ask you about the people in your life. If you could name three other people who were influential, who would you name who's been influential in your life? Outside of mom. People close to me or just celebrities, dead, alive, doesn't matter. You can choose if it's someone close to you or if it's people or celebrities. Well, mom's definitely right up there. Historical figures, and this is gonna, you might be able to tie this back around to the authenticity that I just said I admire so much. Um, but Dr. Martin Luther King, huge, and I, I am just such a fan. Uh, I've sat and watched countless hours of YouTube videos and of his old speeches, and just how calm and composed he is while just always just being 100% true to what he feels is right and not letting anything affect that. That, that is so I love Dr. Martin Luther King. He's one of my favorites. And the I Have a Dream speech is something that really stands out. Yeah, my favorite one, I don't know if it's my favorite, that's a hard one, but um, I've been to the mountaintop. The one that he says, the one that he does a couple days before he gets shot. And you can tell and he, he knew that was about to happen. Just like tears almost coming out in his eye and just the power of his words. And he says something like, um, I may not get there with you, but know that my eyes have seen your face. And I'm going to get there. It's like, yeah, I'm probably going to get killed, but hey, you know, this is, this is what I came here to do. And I feel like the mission is accomplished. And that was so powerful. Wow. I, I'm, I've always admired him and his career and, and what he's been able to do for so many people, not just African-Americans, but just people in general. He really had that vision to support us all being close and, and loving and respecting each other. Yeah, for sure. And that same group, too, even though they're like totally different, you know, I put uh, Tupac Shakur as well, uh, just for the same reason, just the, the total unapologetic authenticity this is who i am i don't care I, he's not giving a fuck you know that is that is who he was and he was a kid that, that guy died when he was 26 like i'm 67 and man when i look back and i think of what i what i was doing at 26 and just to see the amount of potential that could have grown from that you know because he was a wild he was a wild kid he was 
know, he was not nearly anywhere close to his potential, I believe, you know, but just to see that level of drive and passion, the, the drive, the passion, and the authenticity all put together, that to, to me looked like a very, very powerful mixture of film. And uh, although the game has been so interesting to see, well, both of those people actually in their I agree. I mean, Tupac was one of my favorite rappers growing up alone, of course, with Biggie. Those were my two favorites. He's one of my favorites, not even just because of the rapping, though. It's just that he, he's one of my favorite people, one of my favorite, favorite communicators, I would say. Absolutely. So let's talk about the skydiving. I'm going to kind of segue to that. Tell me what got you into wanting to skydive, and is there a specific city that you've always wanted to travel to to skydive? <laughs> well, it's funny because I, I feel like most people who have not skydived really put a lot of importance on where you skydive. And now I got to tell you, when you got a minute in the sky and you're falling out 120 miles an hour, you're not too busy looking around to check out the landscape. You're pretty much focused on your altimeter. When do I have to open my parachute? <laughs> How do I not eat some splatter like pancakes, you know? Um, so I, it doesn't make that big of a difference. I have, I'm, I'm, I'm not a, a brand newbie at this point. I have 70 something jumps, you know, but that's very new within the skydiving world. So, you know, I'm new to it, but not totally new, but without a seven out of 70 jumps, I believe I have only jumped in three drops down, two here in Florida and one in Spain. I may be forgetting something, but I don't think I've jumped anywhere else. And honestly, you're so focused on whatever it is that you got to do up there that you're not you're not focusing on that. It would be really cool to jump uh, at the Palm in Dubai just to get some really sick Instagram footage or something because it looks really cool from the sky. So if I had a cameraman to go jump with me and we could get some cool video, that would be cool. Um, although. However, that's totally out of the question right now. I believe you need a B license, which requires at least 500 jumps. So um, I'm a ways away from from that. Wow, I didn't even know that. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a lot. So the Palm is, you know, totally surrounded by water. There's buildings. There's all sorts of hazardous stuff. Like if the wind takes it away, you bonk into a building, then you go falling down. You could land in the water. There's all sorts of potential hazards over there so that's why they require like that yeah gotcha but you know what got me into it you guys let me answer that so, um i think it's something that i always wanted to do um and i think that when i actually finally decided to pick it up though i i think it was um mostly just trying to find something that would take my attention away from everything else. And, you know, going back to what I just said about where you jump, it kind of doesn't matter because you're so focused on one thing. Like from the minute, from the second you jump out of the door until you open your parachute, and even after that, you can still have to navigate down and everything. You are not thinking about anything else. You're not worried about that, that email that your boss might have sent you. And that made me really angry. And that's now I feel out of it like you you are focused on one and one thing and every single other thing outside of that just complete silence and that's one of the funnest things and then it just becomes like a 
a sport like any other, like basketball or soccer, where you get better at it. You know, you, a lot of people just think it's just, well, you just jump out of a plane, right? It's the first jump is the same thing as a 500th jump, and it's not, you know, you, the more you do it, you just get really better at new things and learning new curves and new ways to do formation jumps and learn to free fly, fly upside down, sit fly. There's all these other things, and it takes a lot of practice. So once that was once I kind of got past that, then it was just, it became like this um, passion for just getting better and better and better at it. I love that. I mean, that's something I would probably do more the indoor route, but I think it's amazing. (laughs) So Dominic, do you mind letting our listeners know where can they find you online and how can they support you and your new ventures if there's anything that's coming up yourself? Yeah, um, I think the easiest way uh, to, to give the information here would just be to go to my website, uh, DominicCalvani.com, Dominic without a K at the end, so D-O-M-I-N-I-C, Calvani, C-A-L-V-A-N-I. Over there, you'll find my socials, you'll find, there's a, there's a bunch of information over there, whichever route you're trying to get to get a hold of me, that Instagram or Awesome. And do you have anything new coming up that you want to share with us that you're doing? Well, right now at the moment, not a whole lot. I'm actually just picking up and, and going on a few more trips. And as far as um, just the modeling world, things just keep coming in. There's there's nothing too crazy going on there. And I'm just looking forward to continuing this beautiful exploration of life and diving well i'm just so excited first of all that you agree to be on the show and to talk about your life and your challenges and things you've learned from and i really i mean i'm floored at just how amazing you've been able to build this career for yourself and still pursue other things that you enjoy and i really appreciate it i appreciate that thank you very much it's been such a pleasure to to have this conversation with you I would love to have you back, Dom. So if you want to come back in the future, let me know. I certainly appreciate that. Thank you so much, Jeremy. Oh, you're welcome, Dominic. And let's remember you guys to embrace our uniqueness because the world is our canvas. Have a great day, Dominic. Thank you again. Take care. All right. Bye. I'm not afraid.